When the man begging heard the crowd going by, he asked, what is happening? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, that's the beggar, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now Jesus is just passing by. The man hears the star, but he wants to find out what is happening. He discovers that it is Jesus, and so rather than just remaining silent, there's a hope that rises within him. Perhaps he's heard some of the stories. Perhaps as, as he's been in this outside place where people want to avoid him, somehow or another, he's heard of this Jesus of Nazareth who heals the sick. And, and so in this place of being shunned and isolated by the rest of society, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's a call of need, but also a call of humility. God, have mercy on me. I have nothing to offer, but I'm just crying out for your mercy. The cry, the calling out of a man who longs for this Jesus and the hope that he seems to hold. But those who led the way, that is who was leading Jesus' entourage, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I find that one of the saddest statements of the New Testament. That the people who were walking with Jesus, therefore his followers, his disciples, in spite of the journey of discipleship that they had been on, from chapter 9 to chapter 19, if you want it in Luke's terms, have not yet got what Jesus is all about. And so rather than bringing the man to Jesus, they rebuke him. They want him kept at a distance. That's not how we do things around here. Keep that man in his place. And so they rebuked him and told him to be quiet. They wanted things to remain the way they were. Because that's the way things were. That's how our systems work. He needs to be outside and kept at a distance. Let's not let him anywhere near and so they rebuked him and told him to be, shout, to be quiet. But I love the boldness of this blind man at the edge of town. What does he do? He shouts all the more. He shouts all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. There's a determination about this guy. There's a determination that he wants to meet and see this Jesus. Man, if, if that's not a picture of true discipleship. That determined, I want to see Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. I need Jesus. Do you see the, the difference in these two pictures of discipleship? The disciples who were supposed to be following him still don't get it, but this blind beggar gets it. There's a determination about his longing for Jesus. And so he calls out, all the more, have mercy on me. And then we read, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. I want to say to you <clears throat> this morning, church, 
that our God in Jesus Christ, when we call on him, he's the kind of God that stops for us no matter who we are. And maybe some of us don't believe that's the case this morning. We have a picture in our minds of this God, of this Jesus, that is of a distant God, someone we don't really get close to. Or perhaps some of us are disappointed that in our calling out, we feel as if Jesus has not stopped. Let me tell you, Jesus stops to meet with those who call on him. We've got to keep on calling. We've got to keep on calling. That's the picture of discipleship. That's the followers of Jesus. And Jesus stopped for the one that no one else would stop for. And if you feel like one of those persons who nobody would ever stop for, I want to tell you, Jesus stops for the ones who no one else will stop for. And he stopped and he ordered the man to be brought to him. Jesus was willing to be interruptible, the interruptible Messiah, the interruptible Savior, Jesus, the Son of God, who, let's be honest, probably has lots of other things to do, like make his way to Jerusalem and to the cross, but he is willing to be interrupted for us, to us, with us. He stopped and he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? I want you to picture yourself for a moment just before Jesus. And you've called on him. And he brings you over and he looks you in the eye. And he very honestly says to you, what do you want me to do for you? And whether you want to do that with your eyes closed or whether you want to do that with your eyes open, I want you to picture Jesus standing in front of you. And he says to you, well, what do you want me to do for you? Let's just pause there for a moment. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And as you begin to think of what that is, just quietly bring it to Jesus in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are the interruptible Messiah, the interruptible Savior, the interruptible God who stops so that you can give us what we need. And Lord, as you hear your people, perhaps from the silence of their heart, begin to tell you what that is. Would you come, Lord Jesus? And begin to minister to them what is needed today. The man said, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. 
Now, in this moment, Jesus brings to the man what he needs in his, he brings healing. But I want you to notice what else happens. The man is welcomed to follow. Not only is his sight restored, but as one who was always kept to the outside of the city, now the man is restored back into a community. He's welcomed into the community of the followers of Jesus. He's no longer alone, and he does it joyfully. He's welcomed in, and he begins to praise God and to follow Jesus. Now, these last two weeks of our What Kind of Follower series, and Fred took us on this journey last week, was restoration. And that's what's happening here. There's a restoration taking place in in, uh, the blind beggar's life. He's received his sight. Yes, he's been healed. But restoration has taken place not only to Jesus, but to the community, to the followers of Jesus. He was healed. He was welcomed. And he followed. And he praised Jesus. There was a restoration in two directions. There was a restoration to the man. But there was also a restoration to society. What happened was that in this act and in this moment of healing, Jesus was overturning the normal practices of society. He was saying it is no longer right under the kingdom of God that these systems of exclusion should be in place. He deals with a sheep that's further up the stream rather than just dealing with the consequences for this one man. And in front of all of these people, he embraces this man into his fold. The interruptible Messiah who brings the unclean into his community and his followers. Not just dealing with what was happening in the man's life, but overturning what was happening in society. The kingdom of God does not work like that. It works like this. And this man gets it and he starts to follow him. Why? Because of course he agrees with the values and the purposes of the kingdom. This upside down kingdom that doesn't just heal an individual man, but displays to all society. This is what the kingdom of God is about. Not your old ways. The status quo must be challenged. We've got to deal with a dead sheep that's further up the flow rather than just putting water tablets in dirty water so that we can drink from it. Jesus' kingdom comes to overturn the whole of the society that he was part of and of which we are part of. What kind of king? What kind of kingdom? An upside down one where the outsider actually is the insider. And sometimes the insiders, they look more like outsiders. What did the followers do? They rebuked him and told him to be quiet. That's a sign of an outsider in the kingdom of God. Not an insider, but the beggar. He was an insider. As he called out to God, not rebuking anyone else. And so in Luke's, these, particularly these final chapters or verses before he goes towards the cross, we see the crowd 
divided. Some of them who think they're insiders end up becoming the ones who demonstrate that they have no idea what this kingdom of God is like. And those who they want to keep out end up being the ones who are drawn in. Which crowd are we, are you? This man was restored by Jesus so that he could restore with Jesus what was all around him. Well, let's go on in the story. Luke 19. Jesus then entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now this presents a problem in Luke's gospel. Because when you come across tax collector in Luke's gospel and wealthy in Luke's gospel, if you've read the rest of Luke, you'll know that tax collectors somehow are getting brought in. Now everybody else hates them, but it seems to be the tax collectors in Luke's gospel that are open to Jesus. And because they're open to Jesus, they seem to be the ones who are inside. But he's wealthy. And in Luke's gospel, the wealthy seem to be the ones who are outside because they don't call on Jesus. They're just happy protecting their wealth and their status and their power. And so we're a bit confused with Zacchaeus because, well, is he an insider or is he an outsider? According to Luke and the kingdom of God. Well, we go on. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, really, what's being said here is, well, he may have been short, but actually what is being said here is that the crowd kept him away from seeing Jesus. Why? Because they hated him. He was a chief tax collector. They didn't like him. They wanted him to be kept to the background. It's quite a social statement that Luke is making here. Let's keep the tax collector away. Let's keep him hidden. He's no right to be sharing in this spiritual moment. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. You see, he demonstrates the same determination as the blind beggar in the previous story. He's determined to get to see Jesus. He's longing to see Jesus. That's the demonstration of the follower of Jesus and discipleship. The ones who are determined to be with Jesus. And so Zacchaeus again shows the qualities of what it is to be a disciple. Well, everybody else wants to keep him outside. So he ran ahead, climbed the sycamore tree so he could see Jesus as Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And in many ways, it's not just Zacchaeus who was seeking to see Jesus, but now we get the feeling that it was Jesus who was seeking to see Zacchaeus. I've got to come. And stay at your house today. And I want to say that's what Jesus does. He's the seeker. Seeking us out. Pursuing us. Out of his love for us. And what's Zacchaeus' response? He came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. There it is again. 
the sign of a true follower. Obedient, immediately. He came down at once. He welcomed him gladly with joy. (laughs) But what did the crowd do? All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus wants to bring the outsiders in. But my goodness, I think he must get frustrated with those who say they're insiders and want to keep everyone else out. And so the crowd began to mutter. But Zacchaeus does the same as the blind beggar. He, he doesn't just take this lying down, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That confession of Jesus as Lord, look, Lord. That's a sign that Zacchaeus already understands who this Jesus is, that he is following him. And then he makes this incredible statement, this statement about giving what he has to those he's cheated and to the poor. I'll give back to them four times the amount that I have cheated them from. It's an incredible declaration. Zacchaeus's confession understands not only Jesus as Lord, but while the complainers campaign for the status quo, let's just leave these societal, structural, religious barriers in place. Zacchaeus somehow understands the values of the kingdom. Maybe he heard that when Jesus was in the synagogue and was handed the scroll from Isaiah 61, and he read it, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to announce and proclaim good news to whom? To the poor. And when he said, this scripture is today fulfilled in my reading, in Jesus' arrival. Did Zacchaeus know this story from before? But somehow his response acknowledges that Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' salvation is not just about his own personal situation, but a demonstration of a new kingdom where economic justice is part of the kingdom of God. And so he repays everybody he's ever cheated out of money. And he gives away half of what he has. Wow. And in response to this spoken confession and of this reaction and response, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And so while all the complainers were campaigning for the status quo, Jesus and Zacchaeus are announcing a kingdom that is rather different. What kind of king? What kind of kingdom? It's upside down so that the outsider seems to be brought in and that those sometimes on the inside demonstrate more like they still don't understand what Jesus is doing 
in the bringing of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Restoration, yes, for Zacchaeus, but there is a whole event here of restoration that is to take place across the society that he was in. An overturning of the systems, the dealing with the sheep further, the dead sheep in the river further up, dealing with the source as well as the symptom. And Jesus announces, today salvation has come. What kind of kingdom and what kind of king enters Jerusalem? It's one who represents an upside down kingdom. Do you know the question that I came to this week? I mean, having reminded myself that thank you, God, that there is restoration in you, Lord Jesus. My, my life is restored to God through Christ. Jesus stops for me, and he stops for you. But as I think about Jesus' announcement of the kingdom from Isaiah 60, I'm asking myself this question to me and to us. Is my following Jesus good news for the poor? Is my following Jesus good news for the poor? Because in the economy of the kingdom of God, my following must be good news for the poor. Restored by Christ to restore with Christ his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You know, when you read on this week through the story of Palm Sunday and on towards the cross, you'll discover that Jesus split the crowd so that the crowd who began to hear more and more of what Jesus was here to do, they turned on him. And began to shout, crucify him. And even his very closest followers began to desert him. Because they misunderstood the cost of following this king. With his kingdom that changes everything. And so I want to ask us, people of God. Where are we in the crowd? Where are we in the crowd? Are we insiders who soon seem to demonstrate patterns of living and behaviors that make us look more like outsiders in the kingdom of God. That we're actually a barrier to others finding Jesus. We make judgments on them. We keep them at bay. We speak badly of them. We demonize them. We speak things against them. And in our behavior and in our attitudes and sometimes even in our speaking, we end up really looking more like the outsiders who still don't get this kingdom of God. Or perhaps some of us have felt like outsiders. Maybe the message for you this morning is, are you calling on Jesus? If you are, you're more of an insider than you know in this kingdom of God.
And so as we move towards communion this morning, I want us to do what the Apostle Paul asks us to do, which is examine ourselves when we come to the table of communion. To examine ourselves and say, where am I in this crowd that follows Jesus towards his death on a cross? Where am I in this crowd? Are there things within my own life that if I were to be honest, sometimes make me more like an outsider to Jesus and his followers and less like an insider who is following Jesus the King in his upside down kingdom? Restored by Christ to restore with Christ all the things of this earthly kingdom that are so contrary to the way of Christ and his kingdom. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and the stewards to begin to get ready for us as we take communion this morning. And I want to read some words as they do that from Philippians chapter 2. You see, as we go through Palm Sunday to the death of Jesus on the cross, this picture of Jesus the King in the kingdom that he speaks of and declares and announces and enacts with his disciples, he fulfills on the cross. In the same way he's spoken about a kingdom that gives up oneself for the sake of another. At the same way he's talked about a kingdom that seeks to draw the outsider in, no matter who they are. That, that even if Jesus himself was to lose his status and his power, which he had already given up when he came in human form, he gave up his power and his status. Jesus now goes to the cross to give up everything out of love. This is the way of the king and his kingdom that we are asked to follow. That's the cost that we're asked to make. And so we read in Philippians chapter 2, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality or status with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The way of the followers of Jesus is the way of the cross, the way of self-giving, of denying power and status and following Jesus and his kingdom. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of that, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and earth that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Where are you in the crowd? How are you following Jesus? The king and his upside down kingdom. I want to invite the stewards to come and take their positions as we move into a time of communion. And perhaps just in the silence of a moment, you might reflect, where am I in this crowd? 
what kind of follower am I? And Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, these pictures that we have witnessed today and spoken of from scriptures, disciples who had been following for some time, but yet continued to act in ways that were contrary to the kingdom, Lord, forgive us if in having followed you for so long, we still haven't got it. Forgive us. But yet we see these new arrivals to the kingdom who with such determination call out on you, Lord. Such determination to be with you. Lord, may our hearts be more like that. Let's just take a moment to be silent. And as Paul says, to examine ourselves before the Lord. His disciples. And he had already shared with them that the way of following him is the way of giving up oneself for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And he gave it to them and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take and eat. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup and he gave it to them and he said, this is a new covenant, a new covenant in my blood. Take and drink and be thankful. And as you take this bread and as you take this cup this morning, let's make a new agreement with Christ. That as his followers and as his disciples, we will follow in the footsteps of the king and in the ways of his kingdom, whatever it costs whatever it costs. And that we would live in the ways of his upside down kingdom. So let's sing. And as we sing, come forward and receive the bread and the cup. Would you stand with us?